Right, you got your Bibles ready? Yeah. One of the things that, and it seemed to me to come out in the praise and worship this morning, and definitely listening to the reports and the feedback from the team going to vendor, but God created us, male and female, God created us. So I'm just going to use the masculine version. God created us. God created man to have authority and to have dominion. Yes. And I remember one person once saying, you know, the Garden of Eden is a pattern, and God gave Adam authority over everything, including the weeds. And now for many in mankind, the weeds have authority over him. And it needs to be something that uh, has got to change and that we as believers need to understand that when God created us, God created us in his image and his likeness. So just read with me Genesis 1.29. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over everything. So in other words, and I'm not going to read it all for the sake of time. And so God created man in his own image, in his own likeness. But let him have dominion. Everyone say dominion. In other words, not to dominate in an unkind way, but to dominate in the right way. Is that right? But to have dominion. Dominion speaks of, and there's a very similar word, domain, and it also then alludes to the kingdom. God is establishing a kingdom, so he gives us dominion over his domain, and we need to rule and reign with authority. Is that okay? And uh, there's various pictures in the Bible about who we are and various types that speak to the authority that we have. So right throughout the Bible, but particularly Revelation 1.5, and then chapter 5 is 9 and 10, where it says that by his blood, he has made us to be kings and priests. And it's really interesting that 5.10, Revelation 5.10 says, to rule and to reign on earth. Is that okay? Everybody say, on earth. He's not calling us to rule and reign in heaven one day when we die. There's nothing to rule there because God is ruling there. And by the way, he's sufficient because there's Jesus and the Holy Spirit there too. So what are we going to rule over in heaven? Nothing. He wants us to rule and reign where? Here on earth. Okay. So let us make man in our own image, on our own likeness. God gave man what? Dominion. All right. So he then also describes us as kings and priests. Priests had authority because they would represent man to God and God to man. But then, not only that, there's a beautiful psalm, and we're going to read it maybe in the King James translation, Psalm 82. I just want to read through this because it's really powerful. I was chatting to Warren Hunter. He phoned me the other night, a video call from the United States, and we were talking a lot, and he told me that he studied for 10 years or 12 years, uh, he did a, a master's degree in Hebrew thought with two Hebrew scholars. And he was referring to when God spoke to Moses, when Moses said, you know, I want to see your glory. And Moses and God spoke. These Hebrew scholars were saying that Elohim, which means God, you know, basically it's a name for God. Elohim spoke to Elohim. And so one of the things that he said in Hebrew thought, God always works with God. Satan always works with Satan. So that's why God wants to work with us, because we are gods. Satan works with Satan. In other words, if we descend into a flesh level, then Satan can work with us. Is that okay? Because we're operating in the dust. But it's very interesting, but Psalm 82 says, God standeth. Now, when I see that, I'm going to just say Elohim. Is that okay? Look, Elohim standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judges amongst the Elohim. So now, we are described as the congregation of the mighty. Is that okay? 
So Elohim capital, you know, the big main Elohim, standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth amongst the Elohim. All right, you ready? So listen, let's carry on. Verse 2. It says, how long? Now this is God speaking to his Elohim in a council meeting. He says, how long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Verse 3. And then he says, defend the poor, defend the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and to the needy. So the Elohim is speaking to the Elohim, and he's basically saying, why are you not acting as Elohim? Why are you not being the ones in authority? Verse 4. He says this. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the land of the wicked. Verse 5. And he says, they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. Verse 6. And the reason is that the Elohim is saying this to the Elohim is basically saying, it's your responsibility. Now look at this. He said, I have said. Elohim has said, you are gods. So we didn't say it. I'm not saying it. Elohim says, you are gods. And he goes on, he says, and all of you are children of the Most High. I think that's El Elyon. El Elyon. You're all children of the Most High, El Elyon. And so then he goes, but ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes of people. And he's talking to the Elohim, verse 8. He says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit the nations. So God's intent is to inherit the nations. Is that right? So he has a council meeting with the Elohim, and he says, listen, you guys need to act like gods now. Okay, well, I thought that would be good. All right. From here, it only gets worse. So, I mean, that was the climax of the whole sermon right there. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're an Elohim, you're a God. Okay. So that's one of the things that, you know, God likens us to in Psalm 82. It's really interesting that Jesus quotes that exact verse in John chapter 10 when he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees and they're challenging concerning his reference to himself as the Son of God because to say I'm the Son of God is to call yourself God. You make yourself equal with God. Now, this is a point that I need you to log into the computer now. Is that all right? So when he said, I'm the Son of God, They were challenging him because to say, I am the son of God, it means you're the offspring of God, which would mean that you're God, which would mean that you are then in the position of God. So they're challenging him on that. And then Jesus quotes from Psalm 82, and he says, does not your law say that I say that you are gods? He says, now, if you are gods to whom the word came, what about the one who is from God? Is that all right? And so he calls us God. So we need to be people of authority and know how that authority works. But the third level of authority, and it's a greater intimacy of relationship, much more than being gods, much more than being kings and priests, is when God calls us sons. When he declares that we are his sons and he is our father. Is that okay? And it's a big subject, but I'm going to try and rush. But I want you to understand that when Jesus did certain miracles in the Gospels, he identified himself as not the Son of God. It's funny, I don't know if he did it to the Pharisees to really irritate them, but to the ordinary people, he would say, you know, the Son of Man. And he was saying, I identify with you. 
And it's interesting that in his identification with us as the Son of Man, he incorporated us into his ministry. He incorporated us into himself. He incorporated us into the same identity he has with the Father, and that is as a son. So it's interesting that in Mark chapter 2, verses 3 to 12, there's the story of the paralytic that is let down through the roof in front of Jesus by the four friends. Remember that story? There's a parallel passage, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 8, or those verses round about. They let him down, and Jesus looks at this man, and he says, son. It's really amazing. We don't think, we don't know that he was even born again yet because he was still sinning. But Jesus looks at him, and by the authority that he has, he says, son, because there was something changing inside of the man. Is that okay? And he says, your sins are forgiven you. The Pharisees immediately begin to think in their own hearts and minds, who can forgive sin on earth except God, except Elohim? So now Jesus turns and looks at them, knowing their wicked thoughts. He said, you know, you know which is easier to say, you know, why think he likes but which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to this crippled, lame, paralyzed man, take up your mat and go. Well, obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you don't see any change. But if you say to a crippled man, pick up your mat and go home, you're expecting to see change. So Jesus uses the miracle to show what power and authority he's got in the area of forgiveness of sins on earth. And he says, pick up your mat and go home. And of course, the guy is really obedient, picks his mat up and goes home. And Jesus said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man. Immediately, right there, Jesus identified with you and me. And he said, if I can do this, so can you do this. Not just to forgive sins, but to speak to the paralyzed and tell them to get up and be healed. And so the multitudes, listen to this, Matthew chapter 9 verse 8. Now when the multitudes saw it, They marveled and glorified God. Listen to this. Listen to this. This is you now, all right? To the person next to you and say, this is me now. This is me, okay? Now, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. And women. Remember, I'm using this term both ways. So I'll just say, he's given this power to us. So he's given such power to men, such power to men. To what? To forgive sin and to heal sickness. I mean, this is really awesome, isn't it? And so when he says son of man, he's identifying with us. And he says, come on, guys, you can do this. So the son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men can become sons of God. Are you all good with that? The son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men can become sons of God. Woo! So, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 27, there's another incident. Parallel passage, Luke chapter 4, around verse 36. There was a man in a synagogue with an unclean spirit, a demon. And so, in Mark 1, 27, when the man is delivered, isn't it amazing that you can even find demons in church? And you know what brings them to church? People's flesh. Never mind. Look at the person next to you and say, he's not talking about you. Mark 1, 27. All right, so listen to this. Again, the response from the people, they say, 
Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned amongst themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Verse 22 says this parallel passage, Matthew 7 verse 25, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes, the teachers of the law. You know, there was one occasion when the officers of the temple guard went to go and arrest Jesus, and um, they got there, and Jesus was speaking, and they went back without arresting him. And um, when the scribes and Pharisees said, where is he? They said, hey, no man spoke like this man ever before. And they didn't arrest him. So what new doctrine is this? What is this doctrine? The new doctrine is this, is that he's given power to men. Power to forgive sin, power over sickness, power over demons. That's just some of it. Are you all good with me so far? So I want to just quickly fly through this and just show you something. When Jesus was born, Luke chapter 2 verse 7 says, when he was born, it says Mary brought forth her firstborn son. It's really interesting. If you follow scripture, it just helps you to get a bit of an identity concerning yourself. So Mary brought forth her firstborn son. But I want you to know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave us his... So who was the father of Jesus? Who was the mother of Jesus? Mary. But it was Mary's firstborn. It was God's only begotten. Because Mary went on to go and have other children with Joseph, who were Jesus' brothers and sisters, James, Joseph, and others. And so Jesus was her firstborn. But she never had any more children with God in that sense. Okay? So she had other children with her husband. But this was God's only begotten son. Now, only begotten, it's interesting because that thing was not repeated, basically, where God came upon a woman and gave birth to other sons. So he had one son. It's very interesting as we go through the scriptures. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have beheld his glory. And he says, And the glory is as of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. The only begotten, only begotten, only begotten of God. Okay? But it's amazing that as we go through scriptures, we see that the title of Jesus begins to change. So Colossians 1.15, it talks about he's the firstborn over creation. So now he's the firstborn son. He's not, no longer the only begotten. He's the firstborn. It's implying he's the first and there are others. Are you following me? And so he became the firstborn from amongst the dead, Colossians 1 verse 18. Not only in order of priority and preeminence, but it starts to build the case that Jesus starts to stand not only as the only begotten of God, as the sole heir of God, but he's now becoming the firstborn, indicating that there's brothers, these brethren, these brothers and sisters following him. So Revelations 1.5 talks about the fact again that he was the firstborn from the dead. Hebrews chapter 12 refers to the fact that we've come not to a mountain that can be touched. We've come to an invisible mountain. It's not burning with flame. And one of the descriptions of this mountain is that we've come to the church, the church of the firstborn. Isn't that amazing? So now we've come to the church of the firstborn son. So the firstborn son is the head of this church. But it's implying 
that the church is made up of his family. So, all right, so it's the church of the firstborn. It's very interesting that as we go along, we start to see that Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. The one who's the firstborn from the dead died for us when he rose again. When we put our faith in him, he raises us from the dead. And now we are begotten of God. So Jesus now becomes the firstborn amongst many brethren. Is that all good? I think it's really wonderful. Because no longer is he the only begotten and the sole heir, but now he's the firstborn and he shares the inheritance with us so that now we are joint heirs with Jesus. Is that okay? So why am I laboring on this particular one? Because for me, this is the greatest expression of the kind of authority that we should have and that we do have. Is that okay? And so it's interesting that Jesus went from the only begotten to the firstborn, and then God starts to look at it and says, well, in actual fact, I did have more children, and those children came through the death, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Is that okay? And that's why Isaiah 53 says, he shall see the travail of his soul, the travail, the birth agonies of his soul. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. The same chapter, Isaiah 53 says, he was cut off from amongst the living. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. And who will speak of his generation? Now, we know that Jesus never married, never took a wife, but he has birthed us a generation after himself. Is that okay? A very powerful scripture tells us this in Psalm 22, verses 18, 19, 20, 22, 28, and 29. But anyway, I'm just picking out a few verses. It says, they part my garments amongst them, speaking about the crucifixion. So we know, okay? He says, and they cast lots upon my vesture, my gown. It's an amazing. David prophesied exactly what would happen at the cross. Be thou not far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste thee to help me. Listen to this. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor amongst the nations. Listen to this. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. Out of the cross. So we are the generation of Jesus Christ. Is that okay? I don't know, but I've got goosebumps. I hope you have too, all right? I'd like to share my goosebumps with you because I think it's awesome. So what happened is we were begotten of God. So John 1, 12 and 13, that he came to his own, his own received him not. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, the authority, the power to become the sons of God. Is that okay? So you have a God-given right. You have the authority to be the sons of God. Is that okay? But not only the right to be, that once you are the sons of God, you have a right, you have authority, and you have power. So Peter says, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God. So 
the sperm in the Word, the sperm Word of God, the seed of God, when we heard the Word and we believed, uh, sunk down into our spirits, which is like a womb. And once the seed Word of God was mixed with faith in our spirit, we were born again. Now, it's very interesting. John chapter 3, verse 3 says that no man will see the kingdom of God except he be born again. That's a little bit of an unfortunate translation, that, because if you look at it in the Greek, the Greek goes like this. You know, no one will see the kingdom of God except you are born from above. Is that okay? So now he begins to make the distinction, and, and this is some of the things that I want to touch on, is that ordinary people, natural people without Jesus, are born below. Before we knew Jesus, we were born from below. But the moment we put our faith in Jesus, we're born from, a, from above. Now, the above is the heavenly realms. The above is the supernatural realm. The above is where the authority is. Heaven is his throne. Earth is the footstool. In other words, heaven is where the authority is. Earth is where it's worked out, where it's implemented. I hope by the end of this, you're just more anointed, more powerful, and you see more miracles happening. Is that okay? That's transformation in your life. So we're born from above, and so the heavenly realms. That's why when we died, the Bible says God is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we're dead in transgressions and sin. He raised us up, and he seated us with him. Where? In the heavenly realms. That realm is above. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That realm is above. Is it okay? So we are above people operating in a below realm. We just mustn't live below, like below. (laughs) We need to live like the above. Amen? Act like the above. Speak like the above. Paul says in Philippians 3, let our conversation be as from heaven. So we speak out of the above realm. That's why if you moan and complain and whinge and whine and do all those things, you are speaking below realm language. You need to speak words that are over those words, above those words. Amen. That's why we speak His words, because then we are speaking out of that authority realm, and we're speaking heavenly things. Is that okay? I found an amazing proverb. It just it suddenly came to my mind, and I found this proverb. And remember that this proverb was written by, possibly by Solomon himself, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. But listen to what he says. The way of life, talking about, let's apply it, the spiritual life that we have. The way of life is above to the wise. That he may depart from hell beneath. So to the wise, to the wise, the way of life is above. Now there's many verses I can talk about. You know, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, you know, the Jerusalem that is above. She's the mother of us all, Galatians 4. There's many, many scriptures to show that the spiritual realm in which we are supposed to live and which we do live, but we need to be conscious of it and operate from is an above realm. It's super, super natural. It's above the natural. Is that good? Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, It was fitting for the author of our salvation to suffer because then, you know, he was able to bring many sons and many daughters to glory. Ah, it's wonderful. Awesome. 
So we are sons in nature. We are sons in our, not just our identity. We are sons in nature. We are sons in our identity because we are sons in nature. Okay? We've been born anew. We've been born from above. We've been born into the kingdom of God. Is that okay? There's a reason why we need to, when we speak, to speak his word, because we will then naturally be speaking authoritatively. So I want you to just look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 6 from the NIV, talking about Jesus. So it says this about Jesus. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Okay, let's read in the NIV. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now, that word inheritance is a really important word. Because the angel Gabriel basically said, you know, you to name him Jesus. Because he will save my people from their sins. But now there's an inherited name. Inherited name. In other words, there's an inheritance attached to the name. Okay, so remember, context is everything. All right. So a lot of people go, yes, because he inherited the name Jesus. I know that his name is Jesus. He's Jesus Christ. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that. But here God is talking about something else. So let's read verse 5. It says this. To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my? So what name did he inherit? Come on, everybody say it. Okay, not Jesus, what? Son. Cavalier, son. So he says, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? This is where a lot of, you know, demonology, warfare teachers go really wrong because they take passages that talk about the sons of God and go, yeah, that's the angels. There it is. God never called any angel ever son. So Job 1, Job 2, when the sons of God assembled, he was not talking about the angels. Because that would then put the devil in heaven. And the devil is never in heaven, never had access to heaven, can't go to heaven. If God is of purer eyes than to behold evil and no human being can stand before God without being in Christ and live, how can that slimy worm ever stand in the presence of God and not evaporate? He can't. Okay, so they get it all wrong. So to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Well, I thought you were his father in eternity. And Well, he was, but now he's saying because of the work of the cross, because you died and conquered everything, he says, by your resurrection from the dead, you are now the firstborn. And you are my preeminent son because there's other sons that I want to bring to glory. Come on. Come on, that's a good thing, isn't it? Or again, did God ever say to any angel, I'll be your father and you'll be my son? Never. So the name Jesus inherited is what? So, oh, I love it. So I'm building the case. Is that all right? And so son's in nature. So he got the name son. For us, it's a new identity. I love it. Let's go to John chapter 14, verses 1 to 10. But we will just pick verses very quickly, all right? So if you're making notes, write down 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 49. That's where it talks about as we've borne the image of the earthly, so we'll bear the image of the heavenly. As those of the earth, earthy, as those of heaven, heavenly. So I want you to understand when you got born again, you moved from earthy to heavenly. You moved from dust people 
natural people to heavenly people. And you are identified as stars shining in the universe as you hold on to the word of life. So in other words, you have a heavenly body. You are heavenly. Is that okay? Little d, you are divine. So it's okay to look at your wife and say, my darling, you're just so divine. Because it's true. It's true. And the reply should be, yes, yes, my Lord. (laughs) Something like that. Something like that. Trying to get it right with Bev, but it hasn't worked yet. But anyway. <laughs> Are you all good? So look at John 14:1. The whole context here, and it's amazing to me how many preachers preach this at funerals, and you say it's okay because the loved one, you know, Jesus went to prepare a place in heaven, and oh my word, you know, and he's been preparing it for 2,000 years. He created the earth in seven days. Look how magnificent it is. So for 2,000 years, he's been preparing heaven, so oh, heaven must be wonderful. And uh, then they also talk about, you know, the marriage supper of the lamb is, you know, best chefs in the world. The angels are cooking it. So, man, when we get there, it's going to be a big feast. It's going to be cold. <laughs> yeah, the food, the food is going to go cold because we ain't going there. He's coming here. All right. So don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Now, let's put it in the King James because the King James puts it really great. I like this. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, right there, Jesus is putting himself equal to God. Saying, I'm God. Believe in me. You all with me? You following? All right, verse 2. He says, in my Father's house. So, what is the context? The Father. Is that okay? The Father. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. So, I know he says mansions. I know he says houses. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, you are God's building. Is that okay? And uh, you are his field, his garden. All right. So there's different pictures again. So in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Is that all right? So I'm going slowly because I want you to follow. So So he's going into the realm of the spirit. Who is he going to? To the Father. father. To prepare a place for us where? In the house of the father. There's room for you in my father's household. Because I want to bring you in as a family member. All right? So that we're, now listen to this. This I think is awesome. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, which he did. And it says that where I am, there you may be also. So what was he saying? He was saying, listen, the context. He says, I'm going, then I'm going to come back, receive you to myself. And where I am, you will be. He wasn't saying, when I go back to heaven, that's where you will be. He said, I'm going to be gone for a little while to go to the Father, you know, through the crucifixion, burial, resurrection. But then I'm going to come back. And he did, and he appeared again. So he wasn't saying, and then when I go back, and when you die, then I'll receive you to myself, into the house that I've built there for you. So he says that where I am, In the Father, the relationship that I have, you may also have that where I am, I am, I am. I mean, those I am verses, that I am, that there you may be also. That you may be what? That you may be a son, and that God may be your father, and that we together 
me as your brother, your elder brother, that we will be together in the family of God. Now, you can read the rest of the chapter. You will see that that's what it is. Is that okay? Are you all happy? Oh, I think that's fantastic. So let's just move on very quickly. So it's just really, really interesting that Matthew 16, verse 19, Jesus spoke to Peter and said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. So in other words, you will have the authority of the kingdom. Are you with me? And he says, whatever you bind will be bound, whatever you loose will be loose. Then in Matthew chapter 18, around verses 18, he talks about people sinning against us. And Jesus says to them that whatever you bind on earth will be as having been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be as having loosed on earth. And he says, if you forgive anyone their sins, they forgive. If you don't, they retain. Okay? He also says the same thing in John 21. So in other words, what Jesus was saying is that you have executive power that whatever is true of heaven, for you to establish it on earth. And if it is retaining, then you retain. If it's to withhold, you withhold. If it's bound on earth, but it's loosed in heaven, you then loose it on earth. That's the kind of authority we've been given. How many of you know that people are bound in unforgiveness with their sins not being forgiven? And Jesus says, you're now my delegates on earth. You're my representatives on earth. You have executive authority on earth that whatever has been loosed in this realm, you can loose it this realm. Whatever is disallowed in this realm is disallowed there. You can disallow it here. You can bind, you can loose. What authority has God given to men? What a new doctrine is this. Woo. Don't you think so? I think this is really awesome. So moving speedily along, I want you to have a look. I'm just going to remind you of Psalm 8. Psalm 8 kind of starts off praising the Lord, and then it goes on to say, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that thou visited him? And then it goes on in Psalm 8 to talk about the fact that you've crowned him with glory and honor. You've set him above the works of your hands. You've ordained praise from the mouths, from the lips of infants. You all remember those verses, Psalm 8. You all remember them? Not? Then I can move on. That very verse, Jesus confirmed at the triumphal entry into Jerusalem just before his crucifixion when the Pharisees were saying, tell these kids to be quiet because they were saying, Hosanna to the Son of the Most, you know, and putting down palm branches and things like this. And the Pharisees are saying, be quiet. And Jesus says, have you not read, thou hast perfected praise in the mouths of infants. He was quoting Psalm 8, and he was saying, it's time now for man to be crowned with glory and honor and to be given authority. Is that good? All right. So here it is. So Hebrews chapter 2. Paul is busy writing. I want you to listen to this because this is really powerful. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. NIV from verse 5. Listen to this. It is not to angels. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. Pause there, just hold that. So it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. And a lot of preachers that don't understand teachers of the word will think that God is talking about heaven. It's not talking about heaven. There were three worlds, Peter tells us. The world from creation to Noah, from Noah through to including Moses, the Lord, that whole law period right up until Jesus. So the first world was up to Noah. The second world was up to the time of Christ. 
That's why it tells us Hebrews 9.10, Hebrews 9.26, Christ was crucified once for all at the end of the ages, the end of that world. From the time of the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, the third world was introduced, but it was fully established A.D. 70, when the old system was completely removed. The kingdom could fully come. Hebrews was written before that. So he was talking about the world to come from the time of Jesus, which is our time now. So this world, the third world, the new heaven, the new earth, the home of the righteous. He says, this world has not been subjected to angels about which we are speaking. So who's it been subjected to? Jesus, of course. No, you're wrong. Verse 6, I misled you. So let's read. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is? Oh, my goodness. Who? What is man? That thou art mindful of him, the son of man, that you visit him or care for him. Verse 7. You made him a little lower. Now, if you read Psalm 8 and you read Hebrews 2, it's a little bit of a discrepancy. But if I remember right, in Psalm 8, when it says, you made him a little lower than the angels, it actually is, you made him a little lower than God, than Elohim. What is man that you are mindful of him who was made a little lower than God? Now that same God says, you are my, you've crowned him with glory and honor, begotten of God. Amen. Come on, by now you should be getting goosebumps. Yes, okay? All right. So he's quoting Psalm 8. So let's go on to verse 8. And put everything yeah. under his feet. Whose feet? Jesus' feet? Man. No, man's feet. Put what under his feet? Everything. What is everything? In the Greek, mean everything. In Afrikaans, alles. In Italian, tuto. In Zimbabwe, we'd say zonke. Is that okay? He put everything under whose feet? Man's, but particularly the new man in Christ. Is that okay? In putting everything under him, And put everything under the feet of the Elohim. In putting everything under the feet of the Elohim, Elohim left nothing out that is not subject to the Elohim. I mean, that's, oh, come on, man. Just, okay, just give me a good amen. Just a good amen. Just like, woo, this is really awesome. Okay? It's not subject to him. Okay, so Paul carries on. This is the present time. For him, he's saying, from the present time. Yet at present, let's just go back quickly, verse 8. He says, yet at present, we do not see everything subject to the Elohim. Why? Why is not everything subject to us? Because we are not taking authority. We are not in the counsel of the Elohim. There are still needs because we are not acting as Elohim. Everybody following me? So Paul says, Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to the Elohim. Why? And then he carries on. And then he says in verse 9, 
he says, but we see Jesus. So in other words, what he was saying was, yeah, we see that we're in this growth process. We see things are not yet subject to us. But what we do is we keep our eye on Jesus in the meantime. In the meantime, we keep our eye on Jesus, who himself was made a little lower than the angels. Just like us. Okay? Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Was that good? Verse 10. And then he goes, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering of the cross. Okay, let's just stop there. So by the work of Jesus, he brought us into that same power, that same authority, he brought us to glory. Is that okay? Okay. Now, so he's given us absolute, absolute power on earth to forgive sins, to heal the sick, over demons. He is subject this world to us. He has not exempted anything. He's put everything under our feet. Does that include poverty? Does that include sickness? Does that include anything in the demonic realm? What does that include? Nothing is left out. Every bit of authority that we saw Jesus have over wind and waves and demons and sickness, over angels, demons, he has given us the same level of authority. Is that good? Now, I want you to just notice this, that, oh, listen to this. Wow. Listen to this. John chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. This is what Jesus says to the disciples. He said, I've told you earthly things. So I've told you earthly things. He's speaking about being born again and all of that kind of stuff. And he says, that's still earthly stuff. Isn't that amazing? I mean, in other words, he wants to tell us more. He wants to tell us about heaven realities. And he says, and you believe not. How shall you believe if I start to tell you of heavenly things? So are you all listening now? Okay, now let's read verse 13 together. Look at verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. The son of? Oh my goodness. And we need to put in the King James Version for this, okay? He says, no one has ever gone in heaven except the Son of Man who came down from heaven. Yeah. Listen to this. Even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Yeah. Is the penny dropping? Yeah. All right. No one has ever gone to heaven except the Son of God, you know? No one's ever gone there except Him yeah. who descended yeah. to earth. But actually, he's in heaven. I mean, that's amazing. Okay, so let's earth it. Let's put it right down on your address, okay? You don't have to try and get up there. You are there. The sons of men are in heaven. We are seated in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority. Power, dominion. Is that okay? Okay, Pastor John, you're one minute over time, but we'll grant you four more minutes because it's the counsel of the Elohim. Thank you, you Elohim. How does it all work? How does this work out? Let's try and make this practical. How does this work? So Andre reminded me of a verse, and I thought, well, this is really awesome. Let me include this. 
And we want to go to Galatians chapter 4. This is now the how-to. Is that okay? Are you all ready? And I'll be very quick. It says this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. In Galatians 3, from verse 23, very much similar to Romans chapter 8, from about verse 19, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, where it says, those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. God sent His Spirit into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit of Sonship. We've been adopted as sons. Is that okay? With full authority. Now, it says the same thing towards the end of Galatians 3. But here's Galatians 4. Listen to this. Now I say that the heir, who is the heir? Us. Okay? As long as he is a child, in other words, he's immature, differeth nothing from a servant. Here's the son. He's the heir of the entire estate. But he differs nothing from a servant as long as, it says, though he be Lord of all, as long as he is under tutorship and guidance and advice, because of his immaturity, he is a child, he is just the same as a servant. I'm going to throw this in. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. Are not all angels... All, all angels. Some teachers try and talk, and there's worship angels, there's revelation angels, there's warfare angels, there's whatever angels. Well, for me, it's very simple. All angels are ministering spirits. All. All angels can worship. All angels can fight. All angels can bring revelation. All. All angels are ministering spirits Sent to serve the heirs of salvation. All angels. All angels. He makes his servants, it says in verse 7, winds and flames of fire. So if you need to be warmed up, they're flames of fire. If you need to be cool, they're winds. In other words, they meet to the totality of your needs. They are servants not sons, seem to serve those who know that they are sons. You're all happy with that? So where were you? Galatians 4. As long as the heir is a child, he differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. So it says there, he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so now, when we are children, we are bondage to the elements of the world, but when the fullness of time came, God sent for his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So the spirit helps us to have a relationship with the father the same as Jesus has. Is that okay? Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a Son, that's the last verse, verse 7. You are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Okay, wrapping it up, going back to verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, the Greek word for child there is nepios, nepios. And it's funny, when Andre reminded, I said, yeah, it's the same root where you get the word nappy from. It's not quite, but it sounds like, as you know, long as the air is a nepios, you know, as long as the pastor's got to come and wipe the snot and dry up the tears and change your poo nappies, you're still a nepios, okay? 
I kept teasing now. I'm just trying to make it funny. All right. So in other words, what is the, the identification of a nepios? A nepios is someone who's of the age that cannot speak yet. If you're not able to speak the words of God with the authority of God, you're still an infant. You are still a servant. So Prophet Kerbis used to say, servants cry, sons prophesy. Servants moan, this is what I'm going through. You don't have no idea, this is what I'm going through. How about changing your language, nepios? And stand up and start to speak the word of God to your situation. Are you following me? In other words, this counsel of the Elohim, how are they to act? They are to act the same as God. They speak to things. They declare things. They decree things. Amen? What new doctrine is this that he, a man, speaks with such authority? Not like the scribes and Pharisees. They were nepios. So, Psalm 103, verse 18. It's interesting. Jesus said, you know, I've given you all authority in heaven, on earth, under the earth. So, in other words, not only do you have authority on earth, but you've got authority in heaven. In other words, those angels listen to you. So, last verse, and then I'm finished. Psalm 103, verse 18. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments. Listen to this. King James. To such as keep his covenant. Is it Psalm 103 verse? Verse, verse 20. Sorry, verse 20. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments. Listen to this. Hearkening. Verse 20 comes up. Hearkening unto the voice, the voice of his word. What are the angels listening for? They're listening for the voice of His Word. Listen, listen. When I speak His Word, the angels hear God's voice. Those that excel in strength then go to do His bidding because they say, Elohim has said, even though the Elohim have spoken. Because they hear the voice of the Elohim in His Word. Come on, church. We need to... Amen. So in other words, what we need to do is start to stand up and be the Elohim and start to speak to situations. We need to start to speak to things. We need to start declaring things. Just a very quick example. I was standing with Louis just a couple of months ago. And next door to Louis' house is a house. And uh, it was supposed to be a house. Once upon a time, it was a house. And uh, the owner started to change the house. And the house looked absolutely dreadful. And um, it's a nice area, and this monstrosity of a, you can't even say a building. I mean, it was like, it was a structure. And they're building and adding and building and adding, and, it, and the further they're going, just the more disgusting it's looking. Absolutely terrible. Everybody's complaining, but this guy is an absolute bully, and he will threaten you with your life if you try and speak to him. That kind of situation. And it literally, literally that what it was. And then one day we were standing there, and I was looking at it, and Louie and I were in conversation. And then I said, we need to pray about this, this house. Amen. 
And, and Louis said, no, I am. And uh, we, so we were looking, and, and you know, in our discussion, you know, the Elohim were speaking. And I think Elohim heard. And Elohim responded. And uh, it wasn't long after that, Louis phoned me and said, you'll never guess what. A guy has a building contract. Well, he's got building contracts. He's very wealthy. owns a big company. He's bought the place. He bulldozed the place flat. Flat. I mean, you know, and he's building this beautiful house. Beautiful house. They even dug out the old foundations. Because it's like we're leaving nothing of that. Whatever you call that thing. And they're building a beautiful house. So everybody keeps their the value of their own houses, but it's because somebody did something in the spirit. Amen. Is that okay? Amen. Come on, church. You can speak to your situation. Amen. You can speak to other people's situations. Why? Because we are the Elohim. Right. Hallelujah. Did you get something? Amen. Are we going to stop moaning and start speaking? Amen. We need to speak to our bodies. We need to speak to our finances. We need to speak to our families. We need to speak the word of God. Amen. Amen. Because God is watching over His Word in our mouths to perform it. He's not watching over the Bible in between the pages. He's watching over His Word in our hearts and our minds to speak it and to declare it. Is that okay? The reason we have the authority is because of the body and the blood of Jesus. The firstborn from amongst the dead became the firstborn for us so that we can be brought to glory and that we can be sons. Is that all right? And when you take the communion, I want you to take it and begin to speak and say, God, Elohim, I am one of the Elohim. I will start acting like an Elohim. I will start to speak your word. And when I speak your word, the angels, the mighty ones will do the bidding because they will hear in my voice, the voice of Elohim. Amen. And just say the body and blood of Jesus. This is his body. This is his blood. Father, I bless the elements of the bread, the elements of the juice. And Father, as we take it, we participate in Christ in a fresh way. We remind ourselves, we remember, we renew, Lord, ourselves in the understanding of who we are in the cross. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you. Amen. Thank you for your kindness, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. As you take in communion, if you are facing anything, whatever you're facing, I want you in your heart, in your mind, to begin to speak to the situation and speak change. Speak change. You've, you've complained long enough. Maybe you've even prayed and petitioned God long enough. But maybe now is the time to start speaking and saying, this is the way it's going to be. This is what it's going to look like. This is how it's going to happen. I shall not be sick. I shall be well. I shall not be broke. I shall be blessed. I will not be under. I will be above. Amen. I'm from above. The, the way of the wise is life from above. Is that okay? All right. Amen. Just begin to speak. If it's business, begin to call more business in. Start to declare, I shall get contracts. I will be invoicing business. I will have a good cash flow. I want you to begin to speak. Come on. This is the counsel of the Elohim. salvation that is ours thank you that you were so mindful of us that you visited us but when you visited us you didn't just leave us 
in a below state. You raised us up, seated us in the heavenly realms, brought us to glory, crowned us with glory and honor, set us over all the works of your hands, subject everything under our feet. And Father, thank you that we're in the council of the Elohim. Thank you that you've given us your word, the word of Elohim, that we can speak your word, that the whole spiritual realm, the heavenly realm, the angelic realm, hastens to do the bidding of the Elohim because we are sons and not servants. Lord, that we will learn how to prophesy because we are not nepios, we're full-grown sons in Jesus' name. So Father, I just speak blessing over your people. Father, I bless them. I bless these sons and these daughters of God. I bless their works, their homes. I bless their relationships. I bless, Lord, their extended families. I bless their bodies as far as their health is concerned. Lord, I bless them with a hedge of protection. I bless them, O God, with an abundant overflow of your favor. Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, I speak these things. And I want to thank you, Lord, that right now the mighty ones who excel in strength are hearkening to the voice of Elohim, Lord, and, and because they've heard your word this morning. And Father, I want to thank you for unusual, exceptional favor in the name of Jesus. Lord, I send this church back out to their workplaces, back out to their homes, and Lord, to succeed and to prosper in all they do as they meditate and keep your word in their mouths in Jesus' name. And I thank you for it, Lord. Bless you all. Bless you. Love you.